little break after the 10 game mark. So I got to ask on a scale of one to 10, how do we feel about the Leafs after 10 games? Just a number. Uh, need your gut feeling, guys. Let's hear the numbers and then we'll get into it. Uh, Nick, start with you. I'm going with 7-2-1 and one because to be coming out of uh, the first 10 games of the season with seven wins under their belt, 15 points in the bank, couldn't ask for a much better start than that. I'm going to go with an 8. Like you said, it's hard to argue with 15 points in 10 games. Definitely haven't seen them play like a complete game really yet. We've seen complete periods and complete kind of halves of games that doesn't really make sense but um yeah there there's there, there's stuff to work on but man you know pretty pretty happy so far yeah I, i'm feeling like um like an eight eight point five I, I i think is my scale um i i just uh, yeah I, I mean obviously some concerns at the start there but um you know, it's it's about as good as you can expect here the, the last uh, little bit. And, um, you know, the the way that they've been winning ha- has kind of been a little bit different too, right? Like, you know, one goal games, obviously, that's bound to, to turn the other way if you're winning a lot of one goal games. But, um, you know, it, 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 it feels earned, right? It, it feels like you know, they're buckling down a little more and like, maybe that's just a narrative thing. And it's, and it's like a after the fact kind of way to, to, you know, look at their play. But, um, you know, we, we talked about it in some of the early pods this season. Like this is what we wanted to see a little bit more of. And, and those first few games didn't feel like it was there, but, um, you know, at least I feel like it's, it's kind of been a little better here as things have kind of, uh, gone on. Yeah. I think the thing about the one goal game thing is, is that's can be kind of an indicator of, of a regression, but I, I think it's more when like you see like a negative goal differential overall or something like that. And then you're still, you know, still winning, but they got a positive goal differential. The one goal game thing. Yeah. You you definitely want to clean things up a little more, but I think that they've shown ability to lock things down and they've shown that when they need to, that like they can come back in a game too. Like I said, we've seen flashes of a complete team. It's just that they haven't completely put it all together yet in 60 minutes. I don't think. Yeah. And like you said, they're winning differently it feels different just watching them. You know, when it's protecting a one-goal lead late in the third period... Uh, they can do that now. Yeah, it feels like they can do that now. And it's not just frantic running around the defensive zone. They seem more composed. And I think that maybe some of the wind has been taken out of the offensive sails a little bit as they... get. We talked about it on the last podcast with Mayer as they settle into their new system and getting used to playing a more defensively sound game and maybe not cheating for offense so much. But like you said, Keith, they're still putting on performances where they look like one of the best teams in the league for stretches of games. And it's, it's just going to be a matter of getting that consistently and putting it together over the course of 60 minutes. There's like a lot of shifts where they look like they're playing against a junior team, the way they cycle the puck around the offensive zone. They might be having a little bit of trouble getting it into the, high danger scoring areas with consistency, but it's still encouraging to see them be able to control the play for stretches of time like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, 
it's kind of a function of just getting older and, and you know, gaining more experience in the league, too. Like, you know, the, the core of this team is very young, and, and we have to remember that when it's, you know, it's, like, not all there at once. But, like, it, it is, you know, at this point where, like, it's time to kind of hunker down and, like, you've seen some, you know, personnel changes. Like, I, I feel like it's at the point where, you know, these guys kind of know, like, it's it's – like no one's on their entry level deal anymore. Like it's time to get serious, and and, yeah. it, and it feels like the 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 environment of the team has reflected that, even down to like the the pressers, and it's it's hard to gauge that too because it's all going on over Zoom, right? But um, it just it just feels like they're a little more business like um, this year, and and after getting some of those cobwebs out early. Um, I, I've been really happy with it and you know we've we talked about Fred and and you know the the goalie split and obviously right after our last episode was was the game where Jack Campbell got injured um, and you know Fred has has responded nicely here it's it's you know he, he's had some of these game saving uh, moments he's, he's been you know really solid throughout we, we haven't seen some of those stinkers at like bad times that have kind of killed the team kind and, of the opposite you're seeing them he's you're seeing them make the yeah. saves when he has yeah to. even the, you know at times when it doesn't it might not seem overly crucial on the surface but when you think back in the game and the, the Leafs end up coming out with that one goal victory you think back to a save that Anderson might have made late in the period or, or you know on a penalty kill or something like that he really has come up big especially the the last game against the Oilers uh, the, the overtime loss, it, it wouldn't have even gotten to overtime without a massive save yeah. by Anderson in the dying seconds. Yeah, that, that was huge. a huge save to salvage a point out of that one. What did you guys think about uh, Keefe's deployment there in, in overtime? That was a little bit of a, a discussion, and he addressed it in, in his uh, media availability uh, as well. Um, I mean... I kind of, I think, had a little discussion about it, like right after the game, and and what he ended up saying today kind of backed what what I saw, which was that he used Matthews those last few shifts. Um, I think he said like two and a half of the last three minutes or so, which was yeah. about what I, I kind of figured it was, and um, and then he went to to Tavares and and uh, Nylander. Are people which, really complaining about starting in overtime with John Tavares and William Nylander on the ice? <laughs> I mean, I, I know... I know. Yeah, he, he didn't go Engvall Kerfoot. Yeah. Like. Think back to the days of Komarov starting a three-on-three overtime. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on, people. I, I get it. Austin Matthews and Mitch Mariner are the two best players on this team. You want to have them out there. But like you said, they were playing heavy minutes all night long and especially towards the end of regulation where they were out there pushing for the the go-ahead goal late so yeah no issues with that yeah i mean for me it's almost like i have no problem with the forwards it's almost more like um justin hall who's obviously been great you know we've we've got lots of of good things to say about him and, and we can go on at length even even after this but um, I just, to me, like he's had a great season, but you know, when, when you go from five on five to three on three, I feel like Justin Hall loses a little bit of his effectiveness. And I, th- I think that's Absolutely. Totally. not unfair 100%. to say, like he, he benefits from that long reach and, you know, being able to, to keep up for a, a, a big dude, like he's six, four. I, I was shocked to read that today when in some article I was reading, I don't know why I thought he was smaller than that but no he's a big dude and and he he skates well enough but like you said when there's that much more open ice and he's been effective against mcdavid every time out so far this season 
but it's a totally different ball game when you get that much open ice. There's a lot more well, ice. Just, There's a yeah, lot more ice. Watch that <laughs> overtime winner by McDavid. It was almost like child's play. He took the puck up the center lane in the neutral zone, drew everyone towards him, just kind of dished it off to the weak side over to Dreisaitl and said, good luck catching me on the way to the net. And no one was going to catch him. Yeah, I, I get your point about Justin Hall and maybe wanting to go with a little more speed out there, but I, I really don't think it would have mattered. Didn't matter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not likely. I just like in terms of if we're going to like complain about a personnel decision, I, I think that Hall might be a little bit more reasonable than like Tavares and Nylander, who pretty much any team in the league would be happy to start an overtime with. Right. Like it, it, like yeah. when you look at kind of the complement of like mobile defensemen that the Leafs have um, who maybe are, are, are a little better suited to defend in the open ice than Hall is, who, again, has had a great season and like, you know, can't say enough about what he's what he's done um and i mean we we can even spin into that because like the the defense has been i think greatly improved and he's been you know probably the 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 best among them um that's probably safe to say would you agree with with that assessment i I think he's been pretty easily the the leafs best defenseman and the most consistent through the early part of the season Definitely. Um, he, he seems to just kind of be bringing it every night. You know, Brody has been great, but he struggled early on. Riley's had his flashes, but he, he's also had his letdowns at times. Uh, I thought he got a, maybe a little unnecessary heat in the, the last Oilers game, too. He, you know, he got caught on the pinch on the opening goal, but th- that's going to happen. That's his game. To any, yeah, that's going to happen. And he, he did make a few nice plays later on in the game, breaking up odd man rushes and chances in front of the net with an active stick. He, he's never going to be a, a defensive stalwart. And I, I think that maybe now that the Leafs defense as a whole is looking a little better, perhaps those issues are a little more glaring with Riley. Maybe before he wasn't the only one making those mistakes and, and jumping into the play at ill-advised times and stuff like that. But yeah. he's he's always going to be a more of an offensive puck moving defenseman who likes to jump into the rush. It, you kind of got to live with, with the warts in the defensive end. And I, I think Brody has done a, a good job covering a lot of that up. Uh, the defensive unit as a whole has been greatly improved. As you said, Cam, um, I think even Zach Bogosian who, who maybe got off to a bit of a slow start has really solidified things on that third pair, regardless of whether it's been Travis Dermott or Miko Lettinen on the left side. He's been really good on the penalty kill. Uh, it's just a different group, a different makeup. And I, I think it, it maybe speaks to the way that the team is winning differently this year. Yeah, exactly. They have the ability to play a different style of game this year. And and maybe we don't necessarily need to see that all the time or want to see that all the time. But it's a, it's a, it's a weapon in the arsenal now that they can kind of slow a game down and, and be defensive defensively sound and, and have guys like Bogosian and, and, and Muzzin kind of quietly kill clock and stuff like that. Like to have, you know, Zach Bogosian, like he, he got off to a pretty rough start and, and listen, it was, there was no training camp. A lot of the veterans you know, did. He had the kind of Stanley cup, Stanley cup hangover thing too for him. Yeah. Like that's the, that's a real thing. Like that's, you know, not having those, those exhibition games to work out the kinks. It was expected that the first few games of the year were going to be a little wonky. But, I mean, I think Bogosian settled in nicely. I think I was looking at numbers before. He's right around, like, 50% in, like, scoring chances and stuff like that. Like, he's looked fine on the ice, and and there hasn't seemed to be 
many glaring mistakes after those first couple of games. And like you said about Riley, I completely agree. You have to take those kind of breakdowns in stride. And that's always been why we wanted a steady partner with him. Somebody that can complement that game that can kind of bail him out when he makes a bad pinch or if he gets caught down low, like on a four check or on a cycle or something, if he jumps up into it. And there have been a lot of odd man rushes where it's TJ Brody being the guy back. We've gotten to see that slide uh, a, cu- a couple of times, probably more than we've wanted to, but that's why he's here and why he's here on a ticket. The thing that, that kills me with Morgan Riley sometimes is like, you know, I think it's Justin Bourne who's, who's written about like giving off bad information. Like that's what you're trying to do. Like, you know, give the defenders bad info when you're attacking and it just seems like Riley bites on the bad info every every time, like the 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 first move or whatever. It's like sometimes when he's defending like a guy who's just kind of gained the blue line. It's like it reminds me of like when have you ever seen like a, someone do like a magic trick for a dog, <laughs> make like a dog treat disappear and the dog just flips the fuck out like that's what. Mo does sometimes it feels like he's like, oh, this puck's for me and then he <laughs> dives at it and then he's off on the wall and yeah the the guy's defending's got a beeline for the net and it's like it's just it's it's you know it's part of that big mistake thing too where it's just it stands out when it's like a one-on-one battle everyone's dialed in on it on the broadcast and yeah but even you know, it's, riley it's, i think has you know maybe cut back on those super visible glaring mistakes you know that we used to get on someone like jake gardner for so often yeah and if the rest of the unit is playing strong like they are right now like you'll you'll take that all day because of what oh, yeah. he can create for yeah. you at the other end and, and that's where bogosian for me kind of comes in because like you know he he was i think overhandling the puck those first couple of games and, and i haven't noticed as much of that lately and that that's obviously you know to his benefit but he, he he's got a confidence about him right like you know we, we've seen kind of the the bruiser d- number six to defenseman in the past but like he he has a different um kind of air about him than like a roman polak right like he he's got that kind it's just of just that composure right yeah polak I, had an element of the of the the dog seeing a magic trick yeah. too like he he kind of had that like he didn't really know where to put his feet half the time like he was just running around bogosian's letting it kind of come to him and, and not in a bad way like not that he's getting like hemmed in or anything but like he's he's not overplaying things he's he's square like to the shooter every time like he's rarely out of position again not notwithstanding the first two games but yeah he, he definitely has like a, a calming presence which i'm sure is going to help a guy like dermot too who has the ability to to skate the puck a little bit well bogosian is a player who's like sure of himself he knows he knows his role to, he knows his role and he knows what makes him effective uh, did you guys see the i think it was kevin bx that broke it down from the uh not the the most recent game against the Oilers, but the the uh, victory, the the prior game, where in the dying seconds the Leafs had the defensive zone face off and trying to maintain the one goal lead, uh, Bogosian was over on the on the wall, lined up against a winger, and both face offs he just totally washed the guy out. There was no way that he was getting into into the middle yeah. ice there, and th- that's all you need from a guy like Zach Bogosian. He knows what his job is, and he he knows how to do it effectively, and he has been. Well, and you know the thing that has really impressed me in the defensive zone, and I haven't done any like digging. Like this is my very like. Uh, 
like no stats just vibes take on like the defensive play is like the breakouts have to me been so much like more complex but um like they're they're using their abilities to their advantage they're using their strengths because like i I, like where they used to just air it out and like everyone was two guys would fly the zone yeah Yeah, yeah. just these awful breakouts now it's like i've noticed and it's not every time but it's like when they get in a little bit of trouble it's like three quick passes and like it might be a a pass like into what's traditionally like a danger zone like in front of the net or something but they find the open man and and then that guy's able to skate it out with a little bit of space and they just kind of they trust their their skills and, and you know their system enough that they just make these bang bang plays that could, I mean they could blow up and I'm sure that they will uh, you know as the season rolls on but like it, it, I feel like that that's the way this team should be trying to play right is is well they're doing the same thing in the offensive zone cam they're they're supporting the puck well in the offensive zone they're playing tight as a five man unit all yeah. over the ice and it's allowing them to break the puck out that way rather than relying on the stretch pass that we've seen far too often over the last few years. Cam, we got the uh, we got the name of this episode, eh? No stats, just vibes. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, that's that's uh, yeah, that that one's a. Um, I think that's a common one in, in on Twitter now. I, I can't really claim uh, claim. Uh, originality on that one but yeah i think i stole that i stole that one from the the broads cast is where i i fear but i i, I hear lots of people using that one um but i mean it, it's it's been i i think a um yeah like i i, I just feel like it's it's it does feel like a little bit more of a business-like atmosphere, like I said. It even comes down a little bit to, um, you know, some of the the post game or, or just like the media availabilities, like I mentioned earlier. Um, it, we should mention George Armstrong passed away at age ninety, Leafs legend, um, and like just we'll get back into the current team here in a minute. I don't know if either if you have anything on George Armstrong. I just know that like growing up reading about the Leafs and reading like books published about the Leafs and just trying to kind of like learn a little bit about the history of it. Like I forget mm-hmm. a lot about it now, but the one thing that st- always stood out was like George Armstrong was revered, like absolutely one of the most respected figures in Leafs history and uh, in hockey history, not just Leafs history. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, I mean, that, that's a, a tough loss for the organization and the hockey world as a whole. Yeah. And um, like Matthews, especially, I know, had had some um, really thoughtful comments uh following following that news as well so yeah i think he's, he's routinely referred to as like the greatest leafs captain of all time right and like obviously we we haven't there's not a lot of like tape that you can watch and stuff like that but i've read a few of those books too and and uh like my my dad always had such good things to say about him and my dad's two guys were always was were armstrong like well, which is obviously before his time and that but he he was a big dave keon guy too but yeah obviously a, a a great loss i thought it was cool to to hear keith talk about how the team handled that uh, the day of armstrong's passing the team kind of put their regular meetings special teams and all that sort of thing aside and took the time to really acknowledge what armstrong meant to the franchise and his legacy and i think that was a, a good thing for the the young core of this team to to see what people like Armstrong have meant to so many over the years and how they are still revered to this day. And I, I thought it was great to to hear Matthews and his thoughtful comments uh, post game that day as well. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, professionalism is good and it's it's good to, you know, be taking it seriously when you, you have a, a season like this where you're hoping to um, to win it all and also obviously have everything, you know, all the distractions going on aside from it. However, uh, professionalism aside, man, did I enjoy seeing Jake Muzzin flip a puck at Matthew Kachuk. <laughs> yeah, it was so great. and. I, I thought it was it was so funny, like how so upset good. Kachuk got, and, and you know, just days prior to that, the Flames, the company line about the whole incident with Campbell and stuff was, we wouldn't even be talking about this if it wasn't Matthew Kachuk, and then all the vitriol spewed towards Jake Muzzin from you know Flames oh, fans man. and it, writers alike. <laughs> Not to name any names. It, that was that was so performative, man. That was that was I played like shit, and now I can look like I really give a damn by just going nuts at and, the and end. That was the, the the best thing about it is how does Kachuk get engaged in games when when you go and try to retaliate or. You, you're he's putting, at his best. Yeah, you're putting him in the game early on. It was almost like in that game he was waiting all night long for the response from the the prior game. Oh yeah, yep. And they didn't give he it to him. He was doing until after they beat him, and it was just a little bit of a fuck you. Like it wasn't it. And no, it was perfect. It, it wasn't was going to hurt him perfect. or anything like that. Even you know players flick pucks up harder at referees to for face-offs you know what i mean like <laughs> I, I just thought it was great the way they handled that and like the, the zoomed in and, and muzzin laughing yeah and we all wanted blood going in and i just it, it's like it was better you you th- yeah you think that you want someone to pound on kachuk and it's just so much better an outcome this way uh and, and you didn't even realize that that you wanted it but uh, it was it was perfection well i'm willing to bet that the next time the leafs and flames play matt kachuk isn't going to wait until the game is over f- to answer this one no he'll grab he'll grab like a hymen or something yeah. like that and he'll try to make his mark, yeah. make a mark early that might be an opening face off scrap yeah. next time yeah um so, do we want to talk about the officiating <laughs> while, while we're talking about what's left to be said? It's just it's been brutal in the entire North Division all season long, and yeah. and, and that's I, I think the the key point, right? Like you know, we we talked about this a little where it's going to be such a weird season in terms of like seeing all of the same teams all all of the time, but the, the same goes for the officials, right? Like. And it doesn't even mean like, oh, the North Division got all the shittiest officials. It's just that like a standard is being set and being like enforced night after night. And like, you know, if the NHL isn't careful with, you know, these these guys are not seeing any other teams all season. Like when you're only calling within the same division, it's it can get out of hand. Like if the NHL is not on top of it um, and trying to kind of keep everyone to the same standard. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good point. I think it's it is kind of difficult because I, I don't know about you guys, but I've seen this from a lot of other hockey fans, and I feel the same way. I've been so dialed into what's going on with the Leafs and in the North Division that it's almost like it's its own league for me this year. I'm, I'm totally. I'm not paying a whole lot of attention to what's going on south of the border. You know, aside from catching the highlights on, on the the morning loop and things like that. Uh, it is a really difficult thing to manage and it, it could pose a problem later in the season when you know th- these teams start playing against the other divisions in the final rounds of the playoffs and they've been 
perhaps playing to a different standard of officiating all season long. Yeah. And, and I mean, I like, I don't want to jump in on it and, you know, my team, the refs don't like my team kind of stuff. Like it, it is kind of boring and trite to do that. But like, I do think that there is a factor of the fact that the Leafs penalty pen, or power play, excuse me, is lethal and they're not going to the refs don't want to influence it's outcomes been, of games. been that story for three years Keith. and they're taught to do that like you you're that that's that's obviously games, very noticeable yeah. managing the games so we talked about it before like you know what's a penalty in the first period isn't going to be a penalty in late in the third period which is is uh, like it's always been the way it is but it shit changes and you know and should change over time like it doesn't make any sense that that's how games are called but what yeah i, I there was bad calls on both sides in that oilers game where there was a shitload of penalties um i think the Leafs got maybe the worst kind of shake of, yeah. of it but i think the ethan the ethan bear call at the end wasn't a great call either but i think that might have been a bit of a makeup call too <laughs> which is, which is another, another concept that's fucked <laughs> like, yeah. and, and that's how it goes more often than not it, it, if you yeah. look at at the end of the night and most box scores almost every night the teams are going to be within one power play opportunity of one another and that's just you know a symptom of these officials and their subconscious getting in the way and managing games so to speak and, and yeah, yeah you could have a 70 30 possession game with even penalties which just doesn't, no, it make, doesn't sense. make sense and, and that kind of goes to what you're talking about with the leafs too and it's been like this for a couple of years now and the, the leafs aren't the same you know super fast and all skill team this year that they they were in the last couple of years but it, it just doesn't make sense to me that they've consistently been at the bottom of the league in penalties drawn with, with this much skill and this much puck possession. And, and like you said, not to play the poor us card because it, the other teams have been victimized by some pretty poor calls as well. Well, it's just it comes with the it comes with the territory when you're a skilled team, right? Like I, I know that like Habs fans used to complain about it all the time and, and like we're probably justified in doing so, like getting to the playoffs with some of those really small skilled teams and then they just got battered and the league did nothing about it. And like it's 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 just it's so baked into like the the game. Like it's always been this way and it's irritating because like not to kind of go apples and oranges here. I know that like George Peros wouldn't have, you know, a, a say over the officials, but like it's not encouraging when you see that the league has clearly backslid on uh, penalizing mm-hmm. hits to the head, right? Like we are not seeing any suspensions being handed out. You have to kill someone out there to get a suspension right now. They've clearly backslid on enforcing that and, and keeping that standard up to up to date. So like I have no confidence whatsoever that they're going to get this game management shit under control or, you know, the, the evening penalties up type of stuff. Like it, it's, it's just, it's not going to happen. Uh, it doesn't seem like anytime soon, which is really discouraging. Like you say, when you see, you know, uh, your team clearly like uh, just giving it to another team for 60 minutes and it's like any little thing that you do is going to be a penalty you know that because it's like we have to give these guys some oxygen here well you know and it's it's, it's, like you get a power play opportunity and you don't take advantage of it you almost know the next call is coming against you so like yeah the subconscious factor creeps in for the players as well probably like where you're more hesitant defending and you you know you're not as active trying to get your stick in there you're scared to take 
a phantom slashing call like we've been seeing all along this season. And I think the most frustrating thing is when people say the officials don't want to decide the game by calling a penalty. But in reality, they're helping decide the game by not calling obvious infractions that they're written in the rule book. Like, call the rules all game long and may the best team win. Yep. And that actually, Cam, just go back to what you said about the kind of loosening the reins on headshots. Like, that, like the Dubé hit and the, the, the Myers hit, the, last year and the year before those are two three game suspensions yeah i I don't know what's happened it makes absolutely no sense that we we know more about head trauma now we know like we we think every sport has moved in this direction of of taking head injuries more serious and it's like the nhl did it for a couple years and now they're just like ah forget about it like i i don't understand that that direction of things like it, it makes no you sense you know what keith it's a pandemic and george Peros is doing the best he can <laughs> we cannot expect everyone to be as productive as, as they were a year or two ago that's just the reality yeah. of the situation um <laughs> i think that if if you were to tell me that there is someone in the nhl universe whose life goal has been to, to be responsible for the death of another player on the ice, I would say George Peros has had a pretty good claim to that, like, aspiration. Like, if you told me, like, there, there is, there's a serial killer in the NHL, but he's determined to, like, just let it happen through the course of the game. And it's like, oh yeah, it's this like super educated enforcer who who went into I was gonna say, to yeah, pound on people went to and, and shit or whatever, or Princeton, and then got up to the top of the disciplinary chain and is just kind of letting letting everyone run loose. <laughs> it's like, it, does this guy yeah, have a? You got a Netflix show waiting for you here. This is like a, another new serial killer it's, show. It's hilarious that a guy who made his living in the NHL punching people in the face, who also happens to be a parent <laughs> owner of the Make Hockey Violent Again clothing company, that's the guy that gets uh, yeah. put in charge of player safety? I mean, uh, I don't know. It seems pretty counterintuitive. Yeah, it's um, it, it's a mess. Like, it's... It, I, I don't know what's going to rise to the level of a suspension this year at this point. Like that, that's yeah. Those, those scary two hits part. are as textbook as textbook targeting the head as you can yeah. get. And the Gallagher hit on Nurse too was brutal. I, I understand that Gallagher. Was yeah, that of, one's you know, getting a little bit of uh, vengeance for for a hit that Nurse laid on him uh, prior to that, but that was just on another level. That's one of the most dangerous hits that you can have in hockey, in my opinion. You know, from behind, right in the numbers. You know, four to six feet away from the boards. That's just—it's so dangerous and so scary. I was shocked that that he didn't get a a phone call for that one. Yeah, yeah. And I should say there was actually a suspension. I don't know if you guys saw this. Kevin Fiala got three games. Um, What the hell did he do? Did he shoot someone? I know. Like, (laughs) if if you you look it up after this again, like this one looked like it should have been like 10 games. Like it was so clearly from behind the whole way. So we're grading, we're grading on a curve then. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what we're and doing. And it gets now. right back to what we were talking about with the, the standard that has been set and how that's going to wreak havoc all year long and maybe even moving forward. It's like we're, we're working under playoff rules here and like who knows what it'll take to get suspended by the time playoffs roll around. Um, Ask Nazem Kadri. I'm sure he'll find a way. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, that's my boy. <laughs> Sorry, Naz. I still love you, bud. Oh, uh, we all love him. That's my guy. I'm wearing I'm wearing a Kadri shirt right now. So, um, obviously, you know, we're pretty happy with how things have started here, but, uh, you know, there are some quibbles to be had, I guess, specifically, you know, the, the, the stuff lower down in the lineup that we've spent, you know, a fair bit of time talking about, I think, uh, so far this season. But we haven't really talked about Rasmus Sandin too, too much because I feel like we just kind of came into this knowing that, you know, he was going to be one of the odd men out given the numbers on the blue line and given his age and just, you know, his situation in the organization. Um, he was not going to be like an opening night guy. Um, and he, he spoke to the media on Monday just saying, you know, he he had a little bit of frustration. It wasn't like a a clear frustration thing. It was like he was asked about it. And, and you know, he said it's a little frustrating to not get into the lineup. And, uh, you know, Sheldon Keefe kind of kind of reiterated just that, um, you know, they're, they're looking for him to, to, you know, learn good habits, NHL habits, continue to bulk up, that kind of thing. But uh, obviously this guy hasn't, you know, played a meaningful game in a long time here. Um, but it, it's, I think, a worthy discussion to have with Miko Letton and playing the way he has been really, you know, it, he's been OK on the power play. But I don't think that anyone would miss his contributions five on five right now. And, uh, you know, the question starts to become, can we be getting a little bit more out of out of that spot from a guy who's actually going to be a part of this team? years down the road yeah um i'm 100 with you i mean i've had my reservations about letting in coming into the season and i i think that he just he doesn't look like an nhl defenseman to me outside of the power play uh, everything is moving way too fast for him it, you can tell even the few games that he's been in the lineup in just the six defenseman setup like Keefe does not trust him at all. Like, he hardly played in the third no. period of that uh, the game on Saturday night, the overtime loss. And when he did play earlier in the game, it was just a tire fire in his own end. And I, I, I alluded to this on Twitter. I feel like I'm going crazy here because all these people seem to be raving about him and just thrilled that he's getting in the lineup. And it just it reeks of this shiny new toy syndrome to me because – if you actually are paying attention to how this guy is playing, I don't know how you could be encouraged by it. And it just makes yeah, it more I, frustrating I, that it's Sandine, one of the top prospects in the organization, who is, you know, Dermot has had to sit out a couple of games to get Letton into the lineup, but it's really Sandine who's suffering the most at being pushed farther down the depth chart. And in all honesty, I would much prefer Sandine be getting the reps over Letton in. Um, I, I will be happy to be proven wrong if it works out that way, but I don't suspect that Miko Lettinen is going to finish the season in the NHL. Yeah, I can see. I mean, a lot of teams wanted him, right? And that seems to be the chatter right now is like, is he a guy that you move, you know, if you can't find a way to get him into the lineup? Um, cause I think he, I think he does probably need a regular shift, right? Again, back to this whole, like he didn't have an, he didn't have a preseason and especially coming from a different league, but there's been absolutely nothing that he's shown in his time limited as it may be to warrant him getting a regular shift. And, and it's, it's a chicken before the egg thing. I know, but you still have to do something in your time to, to at least at least make it so that your your coach is comfortable putting you back out there and not like literally 
you're a liability when you're on the ice, which is all pretty much what he said. Yeah, that's a, a really good point, Keith, because the, the argument that I keep getting from people on Twitter and stuff is that, well, he's only played a little bit. He's only had a couple of games with limited minutes. Yeah, but, but Travis, the, the, Boyd's only, Travis Boyd's only had a little bit, and he's shown yes, something every time exactly. he's played. Like, it, it, it doesn't matter how much time he's getting. I understand that he might not be getting enough minutes to really adjust and get comfortable, but I'm tired of hearing about this getting adjusted to the smaller ice thing. Like if people watch the KHL, they'll actually realize that most of the rinks over there are within a couple of feet of the NHL specifications. It's not that big of an adjustment. The adjustment for him has been the speed of things and how much quicker everything is closing yeah. on him. And he's just, he's not there yet. And to get back to Sandine for a second and how long it's been since he's gotten into a game, do you guys think that maybe the organization regrets not sending him out on a loan over to Sweden or something earlier this season? But like, yeah, it's a long time. He's coming up on a year, isn't he? Yeah, it's, I think his last game was in March or something. Yeah, 11 months. Yeah. I, I think, um, and I think that either Myrtle or Siegel uh, kind of made reference to that in a recent article that, you know, they probably do regret not sending him off to that, to, to Sweden to play. And I, I think that's because they wanted to have him on hand for whenever training camps booted well, up. Well, Lettman but, was um, here whenever training camps started up. So I, I just don't, I didn't get the, even at the time, it, it seems strange because they were sending so many other players overseas. They sent friggin' Mac Hollowell over to Finland to, to get some games in. So I just I didn't yeah. understand why they, they didn't do the same with, with Sandine. And like maybe it's more about wanting him to continue to bulk up and, and practice with NHL players, even though like, you know, probably should have realized that like that, that was going to be the bulk of his season uh, upcoming. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, for me, like Letton in the thing that one of the arguments for Letton in, I guess, has been like, you know, you want to give him a shot. You, you don't want to scare off like future European free agents. And I don't I don't really think that applies anymore because like there was a point where, you know, the advantage that the Leafs could offer was ice time. Like you're going to come here, you're going to have a role, you're going to be able to, to to work your way into the lineup. And they don't have that luxury anymore. Like we've we talked about this, like the team's trying to win and if you can't come in and show you know like we said even in limited minutes that that you can do that like this was a guy that you know there was some hope maybe he could emerge as a top four guy and and maybe eventually that's going to happen but it doesn't look like he's so close to that that the Leafs can uh, like afford to continue to give him that ice time no, that's and, exactly. and great point you know man. like he could go to another, you know, he could go to Arizona. He could go to, to you know, San Jose or L.A. or something and and, and probably, like, go to a rebuilding team. Well, and, the Devils wanted him, right? Weren't, weren't they high on him? Like, there you go. Like, that's a team that could, <laughs> could certainly find him the ice. Like, I've been watching a bit of the Devils this year, and, like, you know, they could probably... Well, they could definitely find him the ice now. They've got, like, 10 guys on the COVID list, I think. Yeah, true. <laughs> that, yeah, that that too. Um, so, I mean, yeah, maybe, you know, with, with some of the market there, like, maybe you can you can move him, and it's not just he goes back to Europe or whatever, but, like, I, I, I don't feel like... Other European free agents are looking at the Miko Lettinen situation and, and saying, like, those Leafs are really screwing him out of that. I, I think that they'd be looking at it and saying, God damn, that's a team that could win a cup. I would love to, you know, get my shot. And, and I think I could do better with it than, uh, like, I, I feel like if you were like an Ottawa and you bring a guy over and then you a cut him, different. 
or, or if you know someone gets the Shipachov treatment that you know Vegas doled out there in their first year, um, like that's a different story. But like this is a guy who's you know been given a, a role to start, and you know he, he's had some opportunity, and it, it's not really been so hot. And I, I don't feel like it's you know like Barabanov, same kind of situation. Like he, he's he's gotten some time, and it doesn't you know look like he's he's adjusted enough right now. Like and maybe he'll get there. But the Leafs probably don't have time for him to figure it out. A big difference between the situations with Bear Banov and Lettinen, in my opinion, is that Lettinen is very clearly not one of Toronto's six best defensemen right now. And I don't think that it's as crystal clear with Bear yeah. Banov in the bottom part of the lineup. There's, you know, there's more pieces shuffling around there, and no one has really grabbed a hold of that role yet you know I think like you said Keith Travis Boyd has been really good he he probably deserves a longer look on that fourth line but on the blue line Travis Dermott has been fantastic so far this season and Sheldon Keith even alluded to it the, the other night saying that he went out of his way to clarify that he doesn't believe Travis Dermott deserves to be sitting right now and that they're very happy with how yeah. he's playing and it's all about tr- trying to give Letton in that opportunity. So but back to Cam's point about what other European free agents might be looking at, I think that should say something that even though the Leafs have six defensemen playing well and there's someone that they don't want to take out of their lineup, they are still doing so to give Letton in the opportunity to, to earn his spot. And yeah, just for me, bottom line right now is that he's not one of the six best defensemen, and I'm not sure that that he's better than Sandine at this point. Is Bear Banov miscast right now? Like, was he not an offensive force in the KHL? He, he had. Like, would he be one of those guys like we were talking earlier about, like when guys kind of play better when they're put in better situations? Like, would he be a guy that maybe in a pinch with an in- injury we could see him play with Tavares and Nylander and all of a sudden we're like holy shit like I just don't know if he's a fourth line player it's funny that you say that Keith because I actually kind of half expected him to maybe get one of those looks even in game you know what I mean like maybe not lined up yeah, at, yeah. from the get-go as the, the second line winger after a penalty kill or something like he gets yeah, the shift because he, he does have some some interesting tools there that you know He's not exactly like a Zach Hyman or anything like that, but he he skates well. He he is aggressive on the forecheck. He's not scared to get in there and get dirty and dig out pucks. Uh, he's got a little bit of offensive ability, like you said, from his days in the KHL. He had one really, really strong, productive season there. And he, he just has a little bit of that offensive skill that I think, as a third-best player on a line, could be effective. If he's, yeah. if he's the... The best player on your fourth line, like you said, I think he's miscast there. But it, it would be interesting to see him get a chance to to maybe play with some some more talent because the, the entire fourth line, any makeup of the fourth line so far this year has basically gotten caved in at at evens. Even though those games with Travis Boyd, he it's looked a little better, and they've generated a couple of even strength goals. If you look at the expected goals numbers for for anyone who's played on the on the bottom line this year, it they're not good. And, and I think another thing too with just comparing him with Lettinen is that Lettinen, like maybe Bear Banov's being asked to, you know, you have to come in and, and maybe change your game a little bit to fit the hole that we have for you. Whereas Lettinen 
would there wouldn't be an adjustment. It would be come here and do what you're you've been doing in the KHL. Just do it here. Be an offensive defenseman because we're going to pair you with Zach Bogosian. Like so, I like I don't know. Again, like there might be a bit more leash with a Barabanov to figure it out. Whereas Lettinen, it's just hey, just you don't have to change your game. You don't have to find a new role. Just just do what you've been doing, and he hasn't been able to do that. Yeah, I mean his. Um and it's like again it's tough because it's like of course he needs a little more time than than he's had but um it's just you know the leafs are deep enough how much that, can they afford to give him like yeah well the thing is under a normal circumstance it's like if this were a guy who just came in he was like a fourth round pick who impressed in camp and, and then you throw him in there and, and you know he falls off after a few games and it's like okay we'll we'll rotate him back and he's our 8d now but you got a guy who's got expectations and has been kind of promised European out clause yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and so you kind of have to balance that. And I, I think that that's that's what Keith is trying to do here. Like he's he's setting the, the, the table a little bit for Dermot to kind of become the more regular guy with those comments recently. But he, he's trying to, I think, balance this because, you know, it, the the blue line has been lucky with yes. injuries so far and the forwards haven't and yes. and ultimately like you need that depth there with with Lettinen, uh, and if you lose him or you know just because you kind of uh, misplayed the the situation or, or whatever um, if it's kind of a self-inflicted loss i guess like that's that, that could kind of bite you if if you end up with injuries on the blue line eventually so like i i understand where he's coming from trying to kind of be diplomatic about it right but um it, it's it's a it's a tough balance and you know we'll see i guess really how this shakes out soon because you'd have to think like uh, you know Lettinen's gonna get a few scratches here in the next little while and and we'll see i guess how he how he takes well, it getting back to the the whole vibes thing that you mentioned earlier the, the vibe that i get from keith is that he's playing Lettinen because he has to not because he wants to totally yeah yeah, you definitely like. He, I mean, like you said, he clearly doesn't trust him, right? So it's he, he's it's been pretty to, pointed in his in his media availability. It keeps been pretty it. pointed in everything, and, yeah. and we, we talked about that yeah. before. I've it's been a breath of fresh air, just you know the honesty and the transparency from the coaching staff, and just you know not all this coach speak that we've grown so accustomed to. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, depth is obviously going to be um, front and center all, all season long, and uh, Leafs got some good news when uh, Joe Thornton and Nick Robertson returned to the ice, um, first time that they, they've skated since their injuries. So good to see, especially I think for, I mean, I guess for both, like Robertson was um, a, a little, um, a, few, a few days before Thornton, but uh, his was a knee, right? So, like, uh, I would I would have almost expected both guys to to be on the shelf a little longer than this, but it, good good to see them both back out there. They both had like four week timetables, yeah. right? Like, so they're we're like we're like mid mid February probably well, before they're thinking about. And they're both up. on LTIR too, so there is a there's a certain date that they have to be on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was a little little more than a week off the ice, I think, for both. So. Um, yeah, it's uh, ho- hopefully that's that's good news, and uh, uh, obviously, you know, the, the we've been talking about the the construction of these these bottom lines. Like it's it's just going to help so much to to have a couple of guys that you, you feel confident slotting in pretty much anywhere. Um, getting them them back will be big. Yeah, and I, I think Robertson, especially, he he's kind of missed right now. I think that he'd be a, a nice fit to try on one of those top two lines right now. They've been slotting Jimmy VC in there occasionally, and I don't think that uh, 
he's given them what they need up top. I don't think he's the, the same kind of shooting threat that a, a guy like Robertson is. I, I don't think he's as effective on the four check either. Uh, I, I'm hoping that I think that if Robertson was healthy right now, he'd have become a regular by now. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of shaping up that way. I, I think, I think it, it very well could have been. Um, Mikheyev's been had flashes of looking really good, but I don't think that anybody would be super upset if he was on the third line either. No. So I, 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 I think he could easily grab one of those spots. Not that there's a ton of them to grab, but you know, the one that's available, you, you could probably, but the question becomes, is Thornton going right back to his spot when he well, comes that's back? That's a good question because I think it makes you wonder how committed Keith was to that third line that he spoke so much about before the season. And, and and yeah, did they go right back together? Yeah, that's probably a better way to phrase it than does Thornton go back? Does he put his third check? Well, that's going to be interesting because I, I think Hyman has been really effective on on the top line, and the, the offense as a whole is yet to get going. But I think we're seeing more uh, more encouraging signs out of that top line, especially of Hyman, Matthews, and Mariner. I, I thought the the game on Saturday night against the Oilers. They were pretty much the only line that was generating any kind of consistent pressure or consistent offensive zone time. And like we, we alluded to it earlier in the show, they're still struggling to generate those high danger chances, even on those extended possessions. But th- this team just has too much talent up front. Like th- They've been winning these games with the defense and goaltending being the story which is something totally different than we've seen in the last few years. And I think it's really only a matter of time before the offense gets going as well and these big guns start really lighting up the scoreboard more often. So next up, uh, three at home against the Canucks, who have been all over the map, uh, had a really rough start. You know, their depth issues have been have been well documented and uh, they're Top guys, you know, were not going at all to start the season. They kind of came around a little bit. Thanks, Senators, for providing the spark. I think spark. the Senators yeah. are going to do that a lot for the rest of the division this year. They're getting yeah. absolutely well, they're getting the. You deserve this, Sens fans. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, the Canucks um, got back on track a little bit. Um, any expectations going into this one? Like I, I you know, I, I was really happy with the road trip. Um, they, I was hoping to, to see like five or six points out of eight. They got seven. Like I, I would love, you know, another four or five here. Yeah, four minimum. Uh, this is this is not a good, not a great team. Yeah, no, the Canucks are not a great team, and th- those points are going to be crucial with the Habs coming up right afterwards for a couple of games too. And I, I think it's going to be the, the Leafs and Habs all the way to the end, battling for the top spot in this division. Uh, the Habs look dangerous right now. They just they can come at you with four lines. They're they're just really deep all the way through, and and they've got Carey Price in the net. So, which I mean, they, they like I I like how the Leafs match up against them just because of the fact that they they don't have like the the Habs don't have that like game breaking superstar talent. So if the Leafs can just kind of hang on and, and grind them down, like they're going to, they should, in theory, generate more scoring chances than 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 the, the Habs do. And then it's just a matter of wh- whether or not you can you can beat Carey Price. And they've shown that they have. They, they've they've let them up in the past. Yeah, I'm hoping to see it keep rolling here. Um, you know, you kind of talked about it, Nick. Like the the offense hasn't quite been, you know, maybe what it can be, but like it's it's been. 
uh, overall, like the, the team effort is, has been solid. I, I'm, I'm happy with it. Like it's, it's clearly not, you, you know, the team clipping along at a hundred percent or anything yet. Like getting a lot of help from the and power play as much too. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, like getting a lot of help from the power play. Like, you know, you want to turn some of that five on five, like attack time into maybe a little more production on that end. But, um, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty happy with it here in the early going. Like it, it, it's the the kinks that we were complaining about early seem to have gotten worked out pretty, pretty quickly in some cases. And, and in some cases that was just like a veteran guy is getting going like Bogosian and Simmons too. Right. So um, yeah, it's, it's early. We didn't talk about Simmons, but he, he's been another player who's turned it on in recent games. He, he looks a lot better out there. Yeah. It's healthy. Definitely. Yeah. And, yeah. and on the power play, especially, I think he's actually been really important to that that number one unit. He he's been great in front of the net. He's like fearless screening shots and just digging for pucks in tight. Yeah, I think he's been really good. Yeah. yeah. Did Did you see the quote where he was uh, Mitch was saying that you know Simmons told him to just shoot it at his chest and he'll knock it down <laughs> and, and take the swat at the <laughs> like I love that. That's that's a gamer. Um. So yeah, the three at home against the Canucks here, and, and uh, we may just uh, fire up a little mailbag a, a little later this week. So please send us your questions. You can tweet us at Lamenting Leafs. Thanks for listening. That is going to do it for episode number 10. Our intro music is by West Ave. That song is called Sundine. We're going to spin another of their tracks here to end off. It's called Spring Break 08. Both of these available on Bandcamp or wherever you get your music. Get those mailbag questions in. Go Leafs go. Go Leafs go.